We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Krantis McBasketball. And in today's episode, we hop on playback to watch the last play-in game. And in between the action, Tim provides an in-depth scouting report to Memphis's offense, including how they run their rotations, where LA has an advantage, which play types the Lakers can scheme to upset, and much, much more. Follow us on playback.tv slash Lakers Watch Party to get in on the live shows. Hope you enjoy the show. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This was fun. I put a lot of work into this. I was scouting until like 2 a.m. last night, and then I spent a lot of today going through film as well. I looked at film on how... Minnesota operates, what powers their key actions, 
what what their offense is really based around. I looked at film on how they, you know, defend the post and send help and everything. So like got into some of the nuance. Today we're going to dig into the Grizzlies offense against the Laker defense and We'll be showcasing some film here at halftime of this Minnesota OKC game to really dig into what it looks like. Grab data on their tendencies, watch the film on these actions, figure it out, you know, where are they strong, where are they weak? This is a team that's a, it's a very good team. Two seed, this is a team that for a reason throughout the year, I was like, I don't know if I want to play these guys if I'm the Lakers. They've lost a couple of players. Steven Adams, he's done. He was a big body. He's going to punish switches. He's going to play some good drop coverage. He's going to finish well around the rim. Elite offensive rebounder, no longer part of the equation. Brandon Clark, super athletic, big man, got a bunch of spring, another monster on the boards. He is out for the season with the torn Achilles. And so that changes what this team looks like. And I think if I'm the Lakers looking at what I've looked at, long story short, I feel good. I think LA's got a real chance to win this series, but it'll come down to you know, shot making, it'll come down to officiating, it'll come down to some of those luck components, but it's also going to come down to how well they execute, how much they hustle, how much they, how well they game plan and execute the game plan. And then within each of these games, what the in-game adjustments look like. I think we've seen the team game plan really well throughout the season and it's gotten better recently. The in-game adjustments have been something that wasn't all that good earlier in the year, but have improved and so we need to see that continue because this will be a tough matchup. And in looking at Memphis, I wanted to take a look at like, all right, what is their like current rotation look like compared to the Lakers current rotation? So I went in and I pulled the data for each team with all of their lineups that exclude, you know, any Damian Jones lineups, any Pat Beverly lineups, any Russell Westbrook lineups, any any lineups that had guys that are no longer in the rotation for the Lakers that we expect to play. If there's a Max Christie lineup, threw it out. I don't think he's going to play. Same thing on the Memphis side, getting rid of the Adams lineups, the Clark lineups, some of their deeper bench guys. I don't know that Danny Green's going to play like all of that stuff. Looking at what the, I guess, current state Grizzlies and how they've played versus the current state Lakers, both of those teams have a 7.0 net rating. Oh, like Memphis, 119.5 offensive rating, 112.5 defensive rating. Lakers, 117.90 rating, 110.9 defensive rating. Exactly as successful as each other. Memphis, a little bit better on offense. LA, a little bit better on defense, purely from a results standpoint. When we break down Memphis stylistically, where are they strong, where are they weak? On the season, they've been offensively a team that's really good on the offensive boards and really good at not generating turnovers. They've been okay at drawing fouls and not the best at shooting from a shooting efficiency standpoint, 20th on the season. With uh, post-All-Star break, they've gotten better from a shooting standpoint. They've gotten even worse from a free throw drawing standpoint, 27th ranked of 30 teams. In terms of limiting turnovers, they've gotten even better, third best in the NBA. Uh, Many of us have heard LeBron mention it and have seen that Tyus Jones is someone that the backup point guard for this team doesn't ever turn the ball over. Really good assist to turnover ratio. I'll dig into why that is in a little bit. But one big difference for this team and one area they've really plummeted, in addition to the free throw rate part, is their offensive rebounding rate. They've been 25th yep. best in the NBA post-All-Star break. 
And when you, I, I ran, re-ran the numbers just with their team and their current rotation against full season league numbers. So expect these to be a little bit inflated because this is a playoff rotation against regular season teams. So that's the, the caveat here. I couldn't, I didn't have the time to do this for every team's playoff rotation and try to compare them head to head. But if we look at the Grizzlies four factors with this playoff rotation, fifth best effective field goal percentage across the league, again, maybe a little inflated, but then 29th in free throw rate, 28th in offensive rebounding rating. Those are, again, two things that should be inflated a little bit. This is the playoff rotation. And yet this current group of Grizzlies players nowhere near the reputation of this Grizzlies team on the season. They are not winning on the boards. They are not drawing fouls. They have been very good at limiting turnovers, first ranked. When I ran these same things for the Lakers defense, again, perhaps elevated a little bit due to the fact that it's a playoff rotation, first in defensive shooting efficiency, first in defensive free throw rate, first in defensive rebounding percentage, and then dead last in defensive turnover percentage. So I, just head-to-head -head with these two teams, we've got a really good shooting offense versus a really good, you know, at limiting shooting ability defense. We've got a team that's never drawing fouls against a defense that never fouls. A team that's not offensively rebounding against the Lakers defense that is absolutely cleaning up on the glass. And then a team that doesn't turn the ball over all that much against a defense that has not been turning teams over. So an interesting stylistic matchup. Um... One thing I took a look at, a couple quick hitters, in terms of facing zone, uh, Memphis is 30th of, I'm sorry, 13th of 30 teams in efficiency, but 7th in shot quality. Uh, they had the 23rd highest rate of facing zone on the year. On, the, on film, recently, they've really been dicing it up, so I don't see this as a team that you'd want to run zone against. In theory, the idea would be keep AD around the rim, I they, they they attack it too well. They've got too many good ball movers, some good shooters, not a lot of good shooters, but some good shooters, some good like short roll playmakers. They run some good sets. So I don't think I'd run zone against this offense. Um, the other big thing that they do bring to the table and continue to bring to the table is running in transition. If the Lakers are we've seen them, you know, hit a three and celebrate a little bit, you know, work the hips, high-fiving each other. They're going to get beat down the court. And Memphis is going to generate transition opportunities even when you score. So the Lakers need to, this is, you know, serious basketball. This is a team that you need to take seriously. And you got to show the team these numbers. You got to show the team this film. If we're not hustling back on defense, make or miss, they're going to make us pay. And one thing that I think plays into the Lakers' favor is they've had, they will have had plenty of time to rest, plenty of time to recuperate, and they've got time in between these games too. So they can hustle a little bit in transition, back and forth, and not you know worry about it being their you know third game in five nights or six nights or something like that. Whatever that crazy run was to end the season, Tom, that that you highlighted. Uh, but this again, second in frequency in transition, the Lakers are sixth. So Memphis runs more than LA does. They're 12th in efficiency, but transition is still really good, you know, really good opportunities. So that overall is going to be pretty solid efficiency compared to like half court plays. Um, their shot quality is 16th, so a little bit lower, but transition, got to watch out for that. That will be an area that Memphis pushes 
regardless of what lineup they have on the court, and they are going to look to attack the rim. So some strengths, some weaknesses, uh, they're going to beat you in zone. They're going to beat you in transition. You have to really focus on getting back and make them play a half-court style of basketball. And then within the half-court basketball, there are a couple key things that they like to lean on. On the year, fifth highest uh, putback frequency. That has not been the same with Adams out and Clark out. So that's been one of their best things, no longer part of the offense. They've been a really, really effective team from an efficiency standpoint with their rolls and their pops and their slips. Anytime the screeners are going to score, they've been really good. Jaron Jackson Jr., very effective, rolling. He's been okay popping. Tillman's a really good short roll playmaker, decent finisher at the rim. Clark and, and Adams, two guys that played into this, no longer part of the equation, but still something you worry about. Um, this is a team that loves to get their pick and roll offense going, and they lean on that fairly heavily, and their pick and roll ball handler scoring possessions, ninth highest frequency, 22nd rank, and as we dig into this some more, you'll notice that like Brooks not has not been very good at this. Jones, not been very good at this. But John Morant is that tip of the spear. He's their guy getting the possessions on volume. And from John Morant, pick and roll ball handler uh, possessions as a team, this team has scored over 20 points per game just from him and ball screens scoring for himself or facilitating the teammates. So again, just some high level and then we'll dig into the nuance, but you for sure still want to box out. You got to get back in transition defense. Memphis scored 26 points per game in transition uh, per game uh, from Synergy. And that number actually went up after Brandon Clark went down. So they're still running and they're still putting up a bunch of points. The Lakers defensively in transition have allowed the second most points per game on the year. And... Uh, so, so I'm sorry, second most points per game in transition from Memphis against the fourth most given up per game with the Laker defense. I will say the Lakers defense has gotten better since the trades that they've made. Since the trade deadline, they've gotten about 2.5 points per game better at limiting transition point volume against them. But that will still be a huge matchup. And this could very well be a series where there's a game or two decided by, like, what does that level of effort look like? Which... As an X's and O's guy, you know, that's not a way you want to lose a game. We want to prepare the best we can and make them play. You know, we want to have the higher ground tactically. You don't want to lose a game because you didn't hustle back in transition. But that is a very, a very real thing. And in this series will be a very real thing. So you got to get back. And then you just want to game plan well against their ball screens. And ISO actually isn't something that I've been game planning. I wouldn't be game planning all that much against. They don't do it all that often. Uh, 26th of 30 teams in ISO frequency and they've been 24th in efficiency. So game, you know, get back in transition, game plan to stop the ball screens. And then there's some interesting handoff and off screen sets that we'll talk about as well. But I think this, uh, this will lead us to our first break in our Lakers Grizzlies breakdown. Yeah. Good stuff there, Tim. Um, I'm curious too, because part of what I think the, uh, you know the transition thing is is the shots that they force you to take right the the long t the jumpers and the um contested rim you know misses which jaron jackson is awesome at the rim so any time that happens that's a turnover or that's a transition opportunity to mm -hmm. think about um 
So you got to be careful and, and deliberate with the shots you take and not forcing too much at the rim because it could come back and bite you in the other end. Yeah, and that's something the Lakers have struggled with a bit. Part of their struggles as a transition defense have been a lack of – so spacing in the – or I guess like spacing balance or – just like spreading players out. Like there will be plays where we see five Lakers lower than like the free throw line extended. And there's nobody like beyond the three point line in a position to just kind of, you know, backpedal and get back in transition defense. If you have guys deep in the corner and then you've got two or three players at the rim, it's, you know, everybody's starting from the same starting line instead of you having that head start and where you can just kind of backpedal and jog back in transition. So that's something they need to be actively aware of. And if they get too unbalanced and get too deep near the near Memphis's baseline, they're going to find themselves in a lot of trouble trying to race the Grizzlies back up the court and, and play some defense. But great, great point. Getting back to Memphis's offense, from a play type standpoint, that's kind of where they lean. They want to run ball screens. They want to run in transition. They want to be active on putbacks. Eh, not as much now with missing a few guys, but ball screens are a big part of their offense. And when we look at how that translates to their shot profile, they shoot the most floaters of any team in the NBA, 14th in efficiency. They shoot the fifth highest frequency of shots at the rim and have been below average in frequency there. And... They shoot the least, uh, I guess the jump shots make up the lowest proportion of their offense uh, compared to any other offense in the NBA. So they want to get to the rim. They want to shoot at the rim. If they can't get to the rim, they're going to take floaters over middies. When we look at jump shot kind of breakdown, 25th and short jumpers from a usage standpoint, 29th and long range jumper, like long twos, but second highest frequency of three point attempts from a jump shot standpoint. So they're going to let some threes fly. They have several guys who are very good at them. If you go look at a game log for Luke Kennard, you're going to see games where he's shooting like over a dozen threes and he's going to put a lot of them in. Desmond Bain, a very good three-point shooter. They've also got some guys who are not very good three-point shooters that we'll talk about. So not a mid-range jumper team. They want to get to the rim, shoot a floater, hit a three. And that's good to know. It's good to know what they're comfortable with, what they like to do, what they don't like to do. Because if you can force teams into stuff they don't like doing, that can that can generally be beneficial. Now, when it comes to who I expect to see play for Memphis, I would expect a starting lineup of John Morant, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Xavier Tillman, and Jaron Jackson Jr. Off the bench, expect to see Tyus Jones as the backup point guard. They'll stagger him and Morant. Expect to see Luke Kennard. They stagger him and Desmond Bain quite a bit. Uh, they really keep one elite shooter out there at all times. For the most part, you'll see John. Uh, is it John Conchar? I think it's John Conchar. Um, um, mm-hmm. That's going to bother me if I. Okay, yeah. I, I, I looked at it. I was like, that looks wrong, but it sounds right. Yeah, John Conchar off the bench. Uh, Santi Aldama, um, stationary shooter. John Karnchar, he's actually low-key a pretty good wing stopper. This wasn't something that I had really noticed, but he's uh he's got some good stuff going on. Aldama, very much a spot-up catch and shoot guy. He'll get some dump-offs, he'll tack closeouts every now and then. But like for the most part, he's someone that I'm okay hiding somebody, hiding a defender on. 
And then they've got David Roddy as well, who's a nice young player. Uh, he'll he'll put up some numbers every now and then, but more of a deeper bench guy. But they'll run like a nine and a half man rotation. This is a pretty deep team. And how the Lakers match up against this group is going to be really important. And I see like a lot of schematic areas where the Lakers defense matches up well. There are some personnel areas where I think Memphis is just a tough, tough team to play against. All right, so let's get back to Memphis's rotation and who they've got out there. With their starting lineup, you've got John Morant, who is a hell of a slasher, trying to get into the paint, score at the rim. Anytime he's taking a jumper, it's a win for the defense. Very much somebody that you want to try to stay in front of, have good rim protection for. And I think that change that impacts how I want Anthony Davis defending and who I want him defending. And that's why rather than having AD guarding Jaron Jackson Jr., I would prefer for AD to guard Xavier Tillman. I've seen a lot of different iterations from different people on how they would like to see the Lakers match up. But AD guarding Tillman, Tillman being someone who averages 0.2 three-pointers per game and is more of an under-the-rim finisher, allows AD to stay around the rim. He can play drop. He can sag off of Tillman whenever Tillman's on the perimeter. If Tillman's in the dunker spot, AD should be able to like do his job fine and then recover over. He's not going to get beat by lobs. So that, I think, is a key matchup that enables the Lakers to better defend someone like Ja Morant. When it comes to Ja himself, I think you can... It's easy to get caught up in some of the highlights and the blow-bys. He's someone that is... Only he's only only five games this season. I think he I think I mistakenly said eight yesterday on the stream. Only five games this season has he gotten more than five points in a game from isolations. He has 2.9 isolation scoring possessions per game, 3.9 when you include his pass outs. Memphis as a team is averaging 21 points per game on job ball screens. 20 scoring possessions per game. This is where the focus needs to be with him. And that's why. Rather than putting Vando on Jaw, who could potentially be the best guy from an ISO standpoint, maybe, would not be the best from a pick and roll standpoint. He is someone that is not navigating ball screens well. I would much rather have, and I said this on yesterday's uh, Lakers playback draft stream, and I saw Sean Davis tweeting about it afterwards. I would much rather have Austin Reeves and Dennis Schroeder guarding John Morant for the purposes of their screen navigation. So I would have Reeves or Schroeder guarding Ja. I would want AD on Tillman. I would still start Jared Vanderbilt and stick him on Jaron Jackson. I think he has the, the length and the mobility to play Jackson well, whether he's posting up, not as the strongest, you know, move you, carve out space kind of guy, more of a finesse post player. Vando should be able to hold his ground there in the post. He should be able to contest Jackson's shots on the perimeter. And this allows AD, or this is really about keeping AD at the rim. And I've seen some folks say, we'd rather have LeBron on Tillman. This is the tricky part here is I, between D'Lo and LeBron, you need then need to guard Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks. I guess I guess what I would do is I'd put LeBron on Brooks and I put D'Lo on Bain. I'd worry about that matchup a little bit, 
But I think D'Lo, as an off-ball guard defender, able to use his rotational abilities, he sets up well. I think Troy Brown would actually do pretty well against Desmond Bain. But I, I think when digging deeper into the lineup data, only the starting lineup for Minnesota, I'm sorry, for Memphis worries me from a matchup standpoint. All of their other nine most used lineups with this rotation of players that they're going to use, I feel comfortable with how the Lakers match up. So you got to lock in, you grit your teeth a little bit, you keep AD at the rim. D'Lo can navigate some off-ball screens and try to make Bain's life difficult. Dylan Brooks, if he uh, feels disrespected by LeBron and wants to try to challenge him, great. He has not been a very good scorer at all this year. Anytime Dylan Brooks is doing stuff on offense, you know, sometimes he'll have success. But that's where we want Memphis going as, as a Lakers defense. Here's the thing, Tim, is we've seen it before. We've seen LeBron completely sag off of Brooks and kind of challenge him into and, you know, force the Grizzlies into kind of funneling the ball more that way. And he's more than willing to shoot, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about that. And I can see it kind of being a strategy for them to try to leave him a little bit on purpose, maybe to help. Yeah, absolutely. And, And I think you need LeBron to be a really effective offensive player in this matchup. And sticking him on a guy defensively that either if Memphis is going to him a bunch, it's bad for their offense, or if they're staying away from him, it gives LeBron a chance to rest, I think is an okay place to be. What you'll see with with some of the other top Memphis lineups and how the Lakers would match up, uh, LeBron will have other chances to kind of take a break on certain players. But I think in the starting group, this is what I'd run with. You could go with uh, Vando on Morant if you want. If you want to be like switching things. And I think that is a viable strategy potentially that you need to really game plan strongly around. And I think with what the Lakers did against Minnesota last game, they showed us that they can do the switching and then, you know, use off ball switching afterwards or, or, you know, trap and recover out of it or path to paint. They need those little tactics to support the switching scheme. That's an option. Switching in general has been something Memphis has really, really done well against this season. Uh, for Jaw and just for the team overall. But I, I I guess that's that's where I'd start with. I understand if people look at that and they say, I worry about D'Lo's defense. Um, but I think this is probably, you know, even if D'Lo gets beat on the perimeter every now and then, 80 will be at the rim. And I think that's a key piece of this. If you stick 80 on Jackson, he might be out of position to help at the rim. And Jaws too, it doesn't matter who we put on Jaws. Jaws too good. He will get some advantages. He will drive by people. And if AD is not there, the Slakers defense is in trouble. So in terms of defending the starting group, that is how I would start out. And then really geared towards defending ball screens with Memphis rather than just the ISO. Yeah, good, good question by JD in the chat about how does Memphis attack switching if they're so low in ISO frequency? They don't frequently ISO or post up when they have normal matchups. So when they get mismatches, they will go 1v1 at times. They, in addition to that, do a pretty good job of like slipping screens, trying to get inside position, and they'll post pin quite a bit, more so than I've seen any team do this year. I don't know on the... That data is much harder to get now with Synergy's new website setup uh, compared to how it used to be. But they uh, 
you know, get the switch, get the seal, and then get that inside position and just look for the lob over the top more so than I've seen any group do this year. So it's a it's a mixture of those things based on who has a mismatch to attack and how the defense is playing. So talking again about lineups for Memphis, I took a look at the 10 most frequently used lineups that they have used this season with the, I had about a a 10 man rotation that I've outlined and the top groups, top groups that they've used are that starting lineup I talked about. They've used uh, Tyus Jones, Dylan Brooks, Desmond Baines, Avery Tillman, Jaron Jackson Jr. So same group, but with Jones instead of Morant. And in that situation, I think you can stick D'Lo on Jones. I think you can stick Reeves on Bain. I think you can still stick LeBron on Brooks, AD on Tillman, Vando on Jaron Jackson Jr. That's actually been their most used lineup this season with this 10-man rotation. So that's a group I feel good about defensively. If we if we just look at how the Lakers bench would guard that, and I don't I hope we don't see a five-man bench unit out there, but Schroeder on Jones, I'm cool with. Brown on Bain, I feel good about. Rui on Tillman matches up from a, a size standpoint, a center of gravity standpoint. Gabriel on Jaron Jackson Jr., you know, not, not ideal, but that's the best you're going to do with this group. And then Beasley guarding Brooks, I think, is the one area you worry. So as long as you're not running five bench guys against that group, I feel pretty good. Um, but there's nowhere to really hide Beasley, I think, in this lineup. So that that I guess if Beasley's playing there, you you worry a little bit. Another common lineup Another is common lineup. Ja, Kennard, Brooks, Aldama, and Tillman. If the Lakers see that, I think you could stick 80 on Tillman again. This time you could stick LeBron on Aldama, Vando on Brooks, probably D'Lo on Kennard, and Reeves on Morant. Still defend the rim. Still got some good ball screen navigation on Ja. LeBron's able to rest a little bit more. Vando on Brooks. Brooks is probably going to still shoot anyway, but he's he'll, he might be in hell. And then D'Lo on Kennard, I, I feel decent about. Or you can even potentially flip those two if you want to. So feel good about that, even with the bench unit. Feel solid about that group. Schroeder on Ja. Beasley on Kennard. Brown on Brooks. Gabriel on Aldama. And Rui on Tillman. Um, so... You know, obviously, you want to have more starters in the game. You're going to be better off with your better players in there. But I don't look at that five versus five and say, oh, crap, there's no way this can work. You feel okay about it. I don't think anyone's overmatched, per se. Uh, We've seen Ja, Brooks, Bain, Aldama, Tillman. Again, I feel pretty good. Reeves on Ja, D'Lo on Brooks, Vando on Bain, LeBron on Aldama, AD on Tillman. With the bench... Feeling good again, just Beasley on Brooks is the one where you you worry about. We've also seen Jones, Bain, Roddy, Tillman, and Jackson for Memphis. I feel good with the Lakers starting group, with the bench group, or combination. Same thing with the Jones, Kennard, Brooks, Aldama, Jaron Jackson Jr. lineup. Same thing with the Jones, Kennard, Brooks, Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr. lineup. Same thing with Jones, uh, Conchar, Brooks, Aldama, Tillman. Same thing with Jones, Kennard, Conchar, Aldama, Tillman. These are... Top 10 lineups they run, and I feel perfectly fine about how the Lakers match up. And then Jones, Brooks, Bain, Roddy, Jackson is another one where with the starters, you feel fine. With the bench, you don't feel the best about Beasley on Brooks. So 
really looking through this, other than that starting lineup for Memphis, I feel good about how the Lakers personnel skill set wise and role wise matches up with Memphis's personnel, except for Malik Beasley in a couple lineups where he might be potentially overmatched. Probably will be overmatched. But other than that one guy in a couple lineups for one, two, three, four, five, like six of these 10, I feel perfectly fine. Three of the 10, it's like, ah, the bench might not be in a great shape. And then one of the 10, I think the starters have a, you know, a slight mismatch from a personnel standpoint. I mean, Tim, we saw, um, you know, Dennis Schroeder played the closing stretch of that uh, play in game. We saw they played 10 guys, I think, in the first quarter. Mm hmm. Um, but Wenyan didn't come back, or you know, first half definitely. Wenyan didn't come back. Do you think they'll shorten this lineup a little bit? Um, and curious what you think. Like, it seems like that D'Lo and the team they're okay. He's you know no Russell Westbrook like outbursts. Um, getting benched in a big game like that, I think he seemed to recognize he wasn't shooting well and trying to contribute more. He did have some good playmaking in that game, but um, he was pretty pretty bad so mm -hmm. yeah just curious what you think about those other kind of lineup uh considerations yeah i i think you could consider potentially starting schroeder over d low if so i think you you line up the same way as i mentioned before just uh actually what you could probably do that actually probably sets you better up defensively you can have schroeder on jaw reeves on yeah. bane lebron on brooks ad on tillman vando on jaron jackson jr i think that's a viable option I do think it could be an interesting adjustment. Yeah, it could be. I don't know that I expect to see it in game one, though. D'Lo adds a lot offensively. I don't think we can, you know, expect him to continue to shoot how he shot that last game. Like you mentioned, still very good playmaking. One thing that would worry me about Schroeder with the starting group is that off ball, he's not adding much. He hit that huge three towards the end of the game. He has not been the best three-point shooter on the season. So that worries me a little bit. He's best with the ball in his hands. And that's where we saw him able to take advantage of Minnesota was winning at the point of attack. With the starting group, that's probably the group where I want the ball in his hands a little bit less than normal. If he's off the bench, yeah, I think that makes more sense. And then another thing to consider is Memphis goes under ball screens at let – me, let me check double-check my numbers here – Memphis goes under ball screens at the third highest rate of any team this season. So if Dennis is running ball screens, they're going to go under those. And that's going to shut down much of what the Lakers are trying to do offensively. And in this matchup, and, and we'll talk about the Lakers offense against the Grizzlies defense tomorrow. But in this matchup, the Grizzlies, are, they've been one of the highest usage, soft and hard hedged teams in the NBA. They're going to be putting two on the ball and make you have to attack them in other ways. They're going to take the ball to your hands. And if they do that, like they, they D'Lo was set up really well to attack the, the defense they have and operate with the sets the Lakers have in the playbook. And I really like the Lakers playbook and what proportion of its offense is pretty much designed to attack a defense like this. With Dennis in there, though, if they can just go under, all of that kind of falls apart, and that would be my worry because Memphis has shown – it's not just a you know a threat that they might go under. They've shown they will go under. And so that worries me a little bit if we do go with Dennis in the starting lineup. I think he can have less impact negatively if he's off the bench. And when we talk about shortening the rotation, 
that could look like more Delo minutes. It could look like more Reeves minutes and less Schroeder minutes. Um, or like we saw that last game, you know, Delo wasn't playing well. He didn't play as much. So it depends a bit on how the flow of the game is going. But game one, I expect to see Delo start. The other thing I could see the team doing is maybe they start Brown or Rui over Vanderbilt, potentially. The thing about that, though, is how do you match? If, if you've got Rui in there, how do you match up? Do you stick Rui on Tillman, which has been his top matchup when these two teams have played each other this season? Um, AD on Jaron Jackson Jr., LeBron on Brooks again, potentially, and then Reeves on Morant, D'Lo on Bain. You still have that D'Lo problem, and you have the problem that AD is now potentially drawn out to the perimeter. So I really want to keep AD on Tillman with that starting group so that he can play in the paint and defend the rim. If you do that, then I guess you would need Rui to guard Jackson. And I I guess that could work. I guess that will it, it'll come down to can that work well or is Vando better in that situation? I think offensively, Rui's in a better spot than Vando uh, in terms of the spacing he brings to the team and the impact he has on the team. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that move for the team at some point. But again, I would expect Vanderbilt to start the series in game one still still in there. Though we haven't really seen how aggressive this Darvin Ham staff will be in proactively making some of these adjustments if they think it's the right move. I'm pretty used to seeing Frank Vogel kind of play vanilla game one and then adjust from there. Not, not sure exactly what that'll look like with this with this group. Looks like Tillman is, you know, pretty like okay role man. Maybe scoring the ball. Um, on Rui, I don't know if I love it. Um, but I could see them trying to steal some minutes, you know, away with it. The thing about Vando is he's just, you know, isn't quite as, uh, I don't know, laterally effective in some of these and chasing around screens and stuff. Um, I don't know that that's totally Rui also, but it's worth a shot, you know. Um, got a little bit of options there on the wing now that they didn't have before, which is great. But mm-hmm. I do I do think, you know, we've talked about kind of the uh, the Rui, Troy, you know, with a little Beasley mixed in, uh, Vando kind of conundrum, Tim. But we didn't get a chance to talk about it with um, Memphis yet. So uh, I can totally see, you know, Beasley getting minutes, but it, I can see them getting squeezed here, too. And if Troy can make shots, I think he can be a valuable asset in this series. Yeah, his screen navigation, I think, is going to be really important defending Brooks, defending Bain. That's not a strength of Ruiz. It's not a strength of Vanderbilt's. They're more 1v1 guys and somewhat different styles of 1v1 guys. Rui against Jackson, he'll be able to hold his ground a bit. I I, I mean, I guess that could work well. Jackson will catch and, and get on the move, though, and I worry about him going around Rui, but... You know, I'm, I'm trying to check my assumptions here. Maybe that is a, a matchup that could work. I am interested to see that tested out in game one and then you adjust from there. But that's that's intriguing to me. So digging back into Lakers Memphis, I think I think I'm 
Uh, I'm liking more and more the idea of Rui being able to start. I think that might be something we see as soon as game two, game three, because him compared to Vanderbilt in terms of how I would be having them to defend, I think I think they can both hold their own. They're the same height. Rui's got an extra inch of wingspan, and he's got a better, you know, lower center of gravity against Jackson. If Jackson's trying to be mobile, I think Vando might be a better matchup there. But I'm very, I'm going to be very interested in seeing how each of the, them defend him because, from an offensive standpoint, Rui should be much much better off for the Lakers from a spacing standpoint. He's he's not the best three point shooter, but better than Vanderbilt for sure. And then this would also slot Vando onto that bench unit, which. If Beasley is going to play, then you you kind of pair that guy who needs to be setting screens with the guy who needs to be running off of screens. And there's that synergy that we talked about, you know, a couple months ago about if Reeves is going to start, start Rui with them and then pair the Vando Bees group together. So this might actually be a pretty good series for that based on how, how things would line up. In terms of how Memphis uses their players from an offensive role standpoint, John Morant's been a slasher, more of an on-ball, get-to-the-rim guy, lots of drives, not a whole lot of three-point shooting. Tyus Jones has been used as a primary ball handler. He's initiating a lot of offense. He is running a lot of guard stuff, ball screens, spot-ups, handoffs, things like that. Secondary ball handlers, they have Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks. Both of them, you know, will do guard stuff. They're not usually initiating offense, but they can run ball screens. They can do some of the off-screen actions. They'll do some handoffs. They'll spot up a bit. Also used as on-ball guards or wings. When we get to the off-ball guards or wings, we've got Luke Kennard as an off-screen shooter. From an impact standpoint, he's been a C-plus offensive impact guy this year. I should say uh, Jones has been an A-minus offensive impact guy. Ja, A-plus. Bain, A. Brooks, C-minus. John Conchar, stationary shooter, C-plus offensive impact. David Roddy, stationary shooter, D, offensive impact. And then Santi Aldama, C-plus impact as an athletic finisher. So an off-ball, lower three-point frequency, kind of garbage man, cutter, put-backs, dump-offs sort of guy. And then for the two bigs that they'll have in the rotation that are used as bigs offensively, because you could say, you know, Aldama is a pretty big guy, but in terms of being used as bigs from a scoring possession standpoint, Xavier Tillman, rolling cut big, D-plus offensive impact. And then Jaron Jackson Jr., versatile big. So he'll space the floor as a stretch big. He'll post up a good bit. A-minus offensive impact on the season. Pretty strong. And interestingly, he has the highest foul drawn rate in isolation of any player this season. That was interesting for me to find a little tidbit for you. Don't be surprised to see Vanderbilt getting some foul trouble or Rui getting some foul trouble. And the Lakers need to go to more than one guy to defend him because he can be a problem. He fouls a lot. But he'll also draw a good number of fouls and draws more fouls than he commits. Digging into how Memphis likes to attack, I think, is really important because we could say they, you know, they could be good at this. They could be good at that. What do they actually want to do, I think, should dictate how you defend them and what you focus on. And when we look at their top 15 scoring play types per game at a in an individual player level standpoint, it becomes really clear what the key thing is that we need to key in on. First place in usage, 12.5 scoring possessions per game. So a shot, a turnover, a free throw trip are Ja Morant pick and roll ball handler scoring possessions. 
scoring at a 67th percentile efficiency, 12 and a half of them a game. The next closest thing is at 4.4 per game. And those are Jaron Jackson Jr. spot ups, 50th percentile efficiency, not something you game plan for. That's that's a result. That's a finishing. That's not the creating. Brooks spot ups are next, 4.1 per game, 41st percentile efficiency. Also, you know, fine. Next, we get to Tyus Jones, pick and roll ball handler, attacks 52nd percentile efficiency, 3.9 per game. Okay, we could take a look at those. We've got Bain spot ups, Aldama spot ups, both above average efficiency. Then we get to Bain ball screens, 3.3 per game, 73rd percentile efficiency, but not high volume. So I'm not worried all too much about those. We get Brooks pick and roll ball handler possessions, which have been horrific. Roddy spot ups have been horrific. Canard spot ups have been fantastic, 98th percentile. Morant isolations only at 2.8 per game. We've got Jaron Jackson Jr. post ups. Super efficient. We'll take a look at that. We've got Bain off-screen possessions to a game. If you add in the handoff stuff as well, he bumps up quite a bit and he's been super efficient at both. So we're going to take a look at those. And then we've got Jackson rolls, average efficiency, Tillman dump offs, really high efficiency. But there are certain things where you're like, okay, Tillman is a really good dump off guy. That's not what you game plan for. Like that's a factor in how you defend ball screens or how you decide to defend certain actions, but you're not like, oh shoot, we got to stop the, the Xavier Tillman dump offs. We have to stop the Luke Kennard spot ups. Those are a little bit more straightforward to defending. You really want to focus more schematically on the ball screen actions, the, the off screen handoff stuff, the post ups, the isolations. So that's what we're looking at when we take out the finishing actions and we look at more of the the major scoring play types and focus just and we focused and, and expand it to pass outs as well first place John Morant ball screens with him scoring or passing we've got about 20 of those a game high efficiency Jones ball screens average efficiency a little bit below average 10 a game Bain ball screens seven a game high efficiency Brooks ball screens about four and a half a game low efficiency Morant isolations average efficiency about four a game and then again, Jackson post-ups, a little bit above average efficiency, about three a game. So among all of those things, what I would like to focus on and what I did focus on are the ball screen attacks for Jaw, for Tyus Jones, for Desmond Bain. And then I looked at Desmond Bain handoffs and off-screen plays. And then I also looked at Jaron Jackson Jr. post-ups. I think if you can understand what they want to do and how they like to attack in those actions and game plan appropriately and just just slow those things down you're going to slow down the spot ups you're going to slow down the rolls you're going to slow down the dump offs and so that's that's what I'd really be focusing on here and that's what we're going to use this film to help us articulate I have Jaron Jackson up okay this one's 2 minutes okay. so I'll let it play and Perfect. So well, we're going to start with some Jaron Jackson Jr. post-up video. And I grabbed a number of plays showcasing some different ways to defend him. Uh, and we can you can go ahead and get that started, Tom. Jackson's been somewhat of a black hole this season. He and we see Memphis here running a set for him. He's a guy that is much more looking for himself to score than teammates. And sending help on him has resulted in some really good things for the defense. Here we see the defense, they doubled and then uh, bumped a perimeter defender over. I believe we're going to see the same thing here on this play. So keep an eye out. 
Jackson's going to catch the ball in the post. The help is going to come from the strong side. And then he's, you know, let's let's see what happens. So the help comes. DeRozan takes the next guy. And the defense just rotates over. And Chicago's got nothing going on. So just sending help like that, sending that double team and watching this Memphis offense just stand still really makes me want to send help. It's also a good idea to play him to go middle. And the, and as we saw there from, I couldn't see who that was, but with your feet, instead of being to the basket, lining up with your feet kind of parallel to the sideline, perpendicular to the baseline, is a decent way to defend him. Here we see again that help, rotate over. As long as you bump a perimeter defender over, you're going to be in pretty good shape. If you help from the strong side and then don't bump somebody over, Memphis does a good job just kicking out for threes or cutting. Here we see help come from the baseline. And then as soon as he picks the ball up, the defense scrambles out of that double team. Jared Jackson Jr., when he's posted up, he has such a high turnover rate in these situations. Here again, baseline help turns into the player. That's an, it'll be end up that they review that. That's an offensive foul. Here we see the Lakers. We're going to see him before he catches the ball be fronted by Wendon Gabriel. And then on the catch, you're going to see, I think, Rui it is, rotate over, help from the baseline. Nothing's going on. Kicks it out, reset. And this is a good position. They end up scoring here, but there was no advantage generated. So sending help aggressively against him, I think, is important. He is a heavy right block player versus the left block 90% of the time versus 10% of the time. And he goes middle 70 to 80% of the time, regardless of what block he's on. So play him to the middle, try to force him to go to his counters and aggressively send help. If you're going to do it from the strong side, you need to bump the next perimeter defender over, or you could send help from the weak side. And I saw absolutely nothing from Memphis. I watched like over a dozen post-up game clips and they had absolutely nothing to attack that baseline help. So that's what I'd be looking to do against him. Again, not the highest uh, volume thing that they do, but we may end up seeing some situations where he's got a nice matchup and he thinks he can go at it. And you just want to make sure you, you defend it the right way. Again, 170 scoring possessions for himself, only 27 for his teammates. He is not frequently passing out. So play him to the middle, send help, make him make him beat you with his passing with teammates that are largely just standing still. So that's the high-level view of what you want to be doing against Jaron Jackson. Don't think you need to, you know, we don't have to deep dive it all that much because it's pretty straightforward. But I think that is one of the key actions that you want to keep an eye out for in this upcoming series, especially if at some point the Lakers do decide to switch a bit more. I've got the jaw one pulled up next if you want to move to that. Yeah, of course. So before you start it, I want to note that jaw ramp ball screens, this is the key action the Lakers need to game plan well against. This is the one thing Memphis does on super high volume. They're very efficient with it, but it also has some clear weaknesses. John Morant has shot 28% on pull-up threes and ball screens this year, sub-30% sub overall on pull-up threes, and... I can understand. We've seen the Lakers at times sag off of like bad shooters that have had like, I don't know, B or C plus shot quality on the year. And when they're able to get those A plus quality shots, they actually hit them at a decent rate. John Morant leads the NBA 
and pull-up three-point shot quality. He's already maxed out. Already maxed out, and he's shooting sub-30% on his threes. So you go under his screens whenever you can, sag off of him. Drop coverage is something that has worked quite well against him this season, and we're about to see a lot of plays that show the defense going under whenever they can and playing drop coverage. And there's a kind of some nuance in how what kinds of drop work better than others. And that's what I'd like to dig into with this film now, Tom. I'll also note that he's a big floater guy, not really taking too many pull-up mid-range jumpers, not shooting well on those 43% and pull-up mid-range jumpers, 45% on the season. It's fine. It's not going to kill you. That's okay. That's a win for the defense. So I think in these first couple plays, we're going to see... I might need to pull my notes out and, and remember what we're looking at here. Hang on just a second. I think just the importance of defending the rim against him. Just watch the Clippers sag off. That three-point shooting is bad. And I'm okay with the team doing that. Here we see the Lakers on defense. They're going to do what they can to defend the rim. We see that Ram action kind of ghosted by Bane. But... So my point there with this play is that AD can jump with Jaw. AD can jump with Jaw. We've seen Jaw posterize guys. AD's going to be able to hold his own at the rim against them and also has the, the maneuverability to be able to contest when Jaw decides to fade away or try to contort his body. Here we see the LA staying in front. Schroeder just not fouling, contesting shots. Make him hit floaters over you is a good way to operate if you're the team. On this play... Memphis going double drag. The Lakers switch it. They're going under where they can. Jaw hits that shot, but that's half step inside the free throw line. Contested floater over AD. That's a that's a win for the defense. That's what you want to see. Here against Philly, something that has also been very successful against John Morant this season has been icing or weaking ball screens, keeping him away from the middle when he's taking a, a wing ball screen. And we've seen that be used with a lot of success. Under plus a week or a week plus drop has been the go-to way to defend him. Here we see the Clippers; they're fine with him taking that shot. You'll see some real ugly misses from him. And again, it's not that doing this suddenly gives him better opportunities than he usually sees. He's already seeing the easiest pull-up threes that anybody's seeing in the NBA this season. Here again, just going under. It's a stack action. Stay home, defend the rim. Doesn't matter. Yeah, the under seems to be a consistent, you know, coverage with him um, with a lot of teams. Um, it's just kind of bracketing him and, and being able to kind of, you know, rotate on the weak side if he does skip the ball. Because uh, they do have some athletes who can attack closeouts. Like, you do got to close out to Bain and, you know, some, you know, questionable on Brooks. Mm -hmm. Yep, Absolutely. Here we see against Denver, just keep him on the side, play drop, stay in front, contest at the rim. And something that's been really effective too is, is being more in a high drop, being somewhat near the level of the screen and then backing up as we see on this play. And we're going to see on some more plays here coming up. Rather than standing under the rim with AD or whoever your dropping big is, be around the level of the screen and then retreat. You want to be in a position to be able to contest the floaters. And then you also don't want to give Jaw a you know, full steam running head start. You want to kind of be in position and make him try to go around you rather than being able to dribble at you and then launch. 
which has been where we've seen him be really effective. You also, as we see on this play, there are guys on this Memphis team you can sag off of and disrupt drive, disrupt roles, pack really, really digging in and packing the paint. You want to stay home on Kennard. You want to stay home on Bain. But a lot of these other players, you can game plan to sag off of them and try to disrupt drives towards the rim. So drop weak or ice where you can. We saw, I saw a lot of teams on film, Chicago and the Clippers specifically have a bunch of success against him. Some of his lowest efficiency ball handler play uh, games on the season. And it was through a lot of this high drop, defend the rim, retreat, but be able to contest his floaters and trying to keep him away from driving left with his ball screens. Here we see them weak him, make him go to his right. And Tillman's a really good short roll playmaker, but Jaws is running past him. He has no chance to really be in the play. Here we see against Denver. Again, going towards the sideline, in drop, floater no good. And he's good at the floaters. 99th percentile floater shot making, 100 percentile creation. He takes a ton of them. Um, he's added 4.3 points per game on floaters this season at 0.93 points per possession. So Again, it's not efficiency that's going to kill your defense. I much prefer that over shots at the rim. I much prefer that over kickout threes. And that's why staying a drop, defending the action 2v2, or like 2v2 and a half if you, you know, you stunt and try to disrupt his drives and sag off of a three-point shooter. There are things that you can do to slow him down, and we've seen success against him in certain ways. He's one of those guys that if you play him wrong, he's going to crush you. Or if you don't have the personnel, he's going to crush you. Here we actually see a peel-off switch works pretty well. This might be the last play or two. Yeah, that's the last play. But John Morant ball screens this season, when he's able to pass out to a teammate, point and a half per possession for cutters, point and a half per possession for screeners, one, one point per possession on spot-ups. But when he's trying to score himself, 0.93 points per possession. And that's about what his floater efficiency is. Jumper is not there. The three-point shot is horrific. As long as you're able to av avoid him driving full, full steam and then getting to jump against you, you're in pretty good shape. So I would be weaking at icing ball screens. I would be in a high drop with AD, still defending the rim, still backing up, stay, still staying as low as you can be against the screener or the ball handler, but not allowing him to get a head start running at you without you kind of in the way. He won't be able to run full speed into you. He has to go around you if you're there in that high drop. And we've seen that be very effective against him this season. So that's what I'm looking at. Another thing you could potentially try to do is switch. That has not worked well against Memphis this season. But if you are switching and then loading up the paint against an ISO, I think that's an okay plan B. Um, but only if the Lakers deploy that same sort of like box uh, coverage around the paint with guys at the elbows, guys at the blocks. That can be a viable path forward. I don't know that they'll go to it immediately. I think you can mix in traps as well. I saw in the game log data looking, you know, this game, the team ran 10 traps. This, team, this game, the team ran, you know, 15 drops, two traps and, a, you know, one switch. The games where Memphis faced blitzing consistently, they killed it. The games where there was one or two or three blitzes and it wasn't predictable, they worked really well. And that's because blitzing is really easy to beat if you know it's coming. 
But as long as it's more of a curveball and not your fastball, it can be really effective. So I'd throw in some blitzing, primarily be in drop. If you are uh, showing and recovering or you are soft hedging, Memphis is going to crush you with their concepts. And Jaw's still going to be able to like drive by hedges at times. But we see them use some really smart stuff when it comes to double drag screens, empty pick and rolls, pin and flares to compromise rotations. They'll run rolls on single tag sides with a lift behind it. They'll run empty wedge action, Chicago action. They'll get Xavier Tillman in the short rolls. He's got a real strong floater, by the way. Also an excellent passer and does a really good job of stopping on a dime and not committing charges. So they've got a full menu of things that they use to attack teams that are trying to put two guys on the ball. So as much as that might seem like an okay option, it absolutely has not worked well in the season. And for as well as the Lakers did last game at rotations, there were still some cracks in the armor rotating behind hedging when they did decide to use it. And we saw enough over the course of the regular season that I wouldn't be super comfortable utilizing that against this team this year. The Lakers have done pretty well against Memphis and against Josh specifically. Uh, He had like one good quarter that one game, but they've done really well lowering his shot quality and they've done it primarily through drop coverage, going under screens, making him a three-point shooter, make him a floater shooter. Every now and then, you know, he's going to hit some threes, but... Again, he's he's probably not going to do all that well on those. And if we're able to get jaw floaters instead of lob dunks to Jackson or catch and shoot corner threes to Kennard or Bain, as the defense, you're doing what you need to do. They're still going to put some points up, but you are doing what you need to do. Again, from a coverage standpoint, I'd say blitzing was most successful occasionally. Then drop was the most successful then switching was most successful if you load up and, and kind of protect the paint. Then soft hedging slash where trap would be when it was used on volume. And then worst against this team has been hard hedging. So coverage-wise, that's what you're looking at. Go under, don't go over. You want to be in the high drop, not the deep drop. You could try peel-off switching. We haven't seen the Lakers do it, so I'm not going to talk about it. And then ice and weak ball screens when you can. Um you, you want to keep him on one side of the court and have him, you know, he, he puts the burners on. He gets beyond his role, man, and it makes it tough for him to make those dump off passes. So when it comes to his ball screen game, that's what I'm looking at. If you do well against Jaw and ball screens, you're going to do well against Jaw. He occasionally is going to have big transition games, but from a half court standpoint, it's 12 points per game from him in ball screens, eight points per game in everything else combined and then six per game in transition. So that's a key thing you need to do well with. And then next up here, we have Desmond Main uh, kind of what handoff plays, I think is what I grabbed. And I think we have like six or seven of these. What you're going to see is a lot of Chicago action with a down screen into a handoff. Gotcha. Okay, so here on this play, and they've run this, we'll see this again on the next Next possession, they kind of go to a horns setup, get the one elbow guy diving, run a ball screen pick and pop, pass it to him. And then the guy who originally dove runs off of a screen from the original screener and then gets a kind of a downhill handoff sort of situation. We will also see this team uh, go to just horns elbow Chicago action as we see here. We're going to see this a couple times. This does, this crushes hedging. 
So you don't want to hedge here. Now, Bain has not done well this season at like fading off of screens if you overplay him. So I think if you are going to stick AD on Tillman and you are going to sag off and you are going to sag off some non-shooters, you can top lock Bain and try to take these actions away. I think here on this play, we're going to see Bain receive a screen, I believe, here in a moment that is, uh, we see this kind of flipped, that nice little flip action there. I don't know what to call that, but it can confuse the defense. You're not really ready for it. Looks like they're going to screen on one side and then they flip around to the other side. We'll see that again here on this play. Watch, watch Desmond Bain receive this screen here in a second. Whoop. And there it is. And that catches the defense off guard. You got to be ready for that Chicago action. And I would be very interested in seeing LA deploy game plans similar to what they did against, I think Phoenix, they did it. They definitely did it against the Warriors where you take away the off-screen stuff. You try to make them a, a pinpoint passing cutting team, but then you sag off shooters and you sag off uh, with AD and that can really take some things away. All right, so we're learning. This is the first time we tried to do a live stream with the film. I'm interested. I, I guess we'll have to to dig in more on like what's allowed versus isn't on YouTube because I see plenty of people posting NBA clips. These weren't live, right? And it wasn't like we showed like eight plays in a row from the same game. But I'm I'm sure their algorithm doesn't recognize that. But the last play I had here for Desmond Bain was just showcasing that they will run an action for him, and then they'll run another action for him. And then they'll run another action for him. And you got to stay ready. You cannot relax when he passes the ball away. Similar, not at the same caliber, but similar to if you're defending Steph Curry, you can't relax once he passes the ball. Bain does a really good job relocating. He does a really good job. Like the first action's not there. Pass it to Tillman, run around him, get the handoff, shoot the three or drive. So got to pay attention. That's going to be a key assignment, and that that should play into how you want to set up your lineups and who's defending him. You need to have good screen navigation, and that's why I think Troy Brown can make some sense in this matchup. All right, so digging into some other ancillary attacks for the Memphis Grizzlies, we have Desmond Bain ball screens. They've been pretty efficient, 79th percentile efficiency. With his ball screens, you still have to worry about, you know, what does hedging do to you? They still run the same concepts. He he can make those reads. He's a very good passer. He'll make those reads. So you still have that same vulnerability there. Unlike against John Morant and, and Tyus Jones as well, playing drop against him may not be the best idea. He has shot 40% on pull-up threes this season. And ball screens, he's only actually hit 33%, 18 for 54 on 0.9 attempts per game. But in theory, you want to be taking away those immediate threes. So I still think what you might want to do is be in a high drop, have AD a step below the screen in a position he can try to contest if he pulls it immediately for three, but still looking to defend the rim. My recommendation would be to do some of that high drop with weaking or icing ball screens. You can switch if you want to. Um, he is weaker going to his left than to his right. I guess one thing you consider is like if he's only taking 0.9 pull-up threes per game, is the damage enough to justify hedging and fortune rotations? No for me, but I would think if you are just in drop, a deep drop, he's going to 
pull more than 0.9 per game. So that is why I would be interested in a high drop along with, you know, go over screens or ice or weak them. But if you just high drop and over, I think is a, a decent spot to be with us mid-band ball screens. So there are two other ball handlers that will frequently run ball screens for this Memphis offense. Tyus Jones is one of them, 10.3 scoring possessions per game from his shots or teammate shots out of his ball screens. 45th percentile efficiency. It's it's fine. Um, he shot 27% on pull-up threes this season in ball screens, 36% on the season. But out of ball screens hasn't been the best. His passes have been the most deadly part of his pick-and-roll game. His pick and rolls, like big picture, they're not good. Um, I think you can probably, again, drop and go under potentially. Uh, his three-point shot again this season has not been very good. You can look to ice his as well. He's been weaker uh, sticking on that strong side instead of being able to go middle from the wings. But I'm not all that worried about these. These have not been a good form of offense for Memphis on the season. And that leads us right into... Dylan Brooks, pick and roll ball screens as well. Also have not been very good on the season when we look at the data on those. He scored, you know, his ball screens are scoring like a tenth of a point per possession below average for like just about everything, if not more. Um, it appears as though a lot of different things can work against him. I guess you would just do whatever makes the most sense big picture, which could look like drop which has been what he's faced most this season by quite a lot he's faced drop and over coverage 18 percent more than the average pick and roll ball handler does not surprise me i'm cool with that ice the side ball screens as always i think that sets you up really well for just about all of these pick and roll ball handlers it's either a drop or a high drop depending on who you're facing but don't need to rotate on the back line don't be giving up those catch and shoot threes and that's what's going to do a good job against the Bane spot up threes, the canard spot up threes. Don't give that, you know, don't go into rotations. Keep 80 around the rim, defend the draw drives, jaw drives, keep pick and roll actions 2v2. And I think you'll be in a pretty good spot with a lot of this stuff. Um, so that's what I'm seeing with a lot of that. Another note on the Bane off-screen actions, when we look at the games this season where he scored on volume in off-screen plays, almost all of them have been games where the uh, opponent was hedging and recovering. Uh, soft hedges, hard hedges. For whatever reason, it seems like Memphis goes to specific actions against that that set him well up for success. So again, in drop, not, not where he's been getting a lot of those actions, though occasionally they will run like some veer action or things of that nature. So I'm not saying they're never going to attack drop well, but it's been the go-to way from my perspective, or it should be the go-to way against this team. It naturally fits, fits the Lakers personnel. So I think schematically that lines up quite well for the team. And that gets us through their, their primary actions. The last couple of notes I have here before I wrap up the offensive preview for Memphis is, I guess, just looking at some skill sets from a three-point shooting standpoint, looking at the data I interpret it as you can go under Dylan Brooks. You can go under Ja Morant ball screens. Off ball, you can kind of just gap Ja. You can gap David Roddy. You can leave them alone a bit and help off aggressively. And then when you're closing out, you can close out short to Brooks, Roddy, Ja, Conchar, Aldama. Like 
they have a lot of guys on this team with F or D three-point shot making. And many of those players have had A or A plus or A minus shot quality on the season. So if the Lakers do decide to leave them alone, it's not going to be like all of a sudden they're getting a big boost to their offense. That'll be more the norm for them. And again, this is all gearing towards defend the rim against jaw attacks and just stay home on shooters. You don't need to stay home on the non-shooters. When it comes to rim pressure, John Morant and Desmond Bain are the two guys that do a really good job of creating looks at the rim. Jackson does as well as a post player. Uh, Kennard, Contra at the rim, not very good from a finishing standpoint. That's fine with me. Otherwise, this team's full of a lot of guys that are like good finishers at the rim, but they're finishers. They're not really creators. And then when we look to the playmaking and passing, Jaw grades out as just a star passer. Desmond Bain, an elite, elite secondary playmaker. Uh, Dylan Brooks, very good as well. Um, somewhere in between secondary playmaking and ball mover kind of usage for him, but still a very good passer. If you can get him in the score first mode, I think that's probably good for the Lakers. Uh, but when he is, you know, calm and reading the floor, he does a pretty good job. Tyus Jones, super, super high uh, assist to turnover ratio. He grades out as a system playmaker. Very high volume, uber high efficiency, but on D plus quality scoring attempts for teammates and C versatility. He's not reading the whole floor. He's not making all kinds of passes. And when he's giving guys the ball, it's pretty easy stuff. He's not, he's not giving, you know, he's not feeding open corner threes. He's not feeding layups. He's not throwing the oops. So, you know, I'm not all that worried about that. If you could shut the plays down, shut the actions down, his effectiveness really drops off. And we actually see that. Oh, as uh hang on, I'm gonna try not to comment on the game that's happening as I'm going through this. We see a lot of his uh, spot-up kickouts and ball screens not lead to good efficiency. And it, from looking at the film, there's a lot of like him throwing grenades to guys. And they're going to go in sometimes, but it's not high-quality offense. Kennard, Conchar, both great out as bad passers. Aldama, Roddy, pretty good ball movers. Um, Tillman's a pretty good short-roll playmaker. And Jaron Jackson Jr., super, super low-volume creation for teammates as a passer. He's someone I'd be willing to test in short roles. And, you know, if you're trapping with him on the court, I'm I'm interested to see how he responds and how he's able to uh, take advantage or not take advantage of those situations. So skill set wise, major actions that lead the offense and how you want to defend them, who they play, how they play them, what roles they're in, what combos of players we're likely to see, what matchups I think make sense. What this team has looked like from a data standpoint with the new group rather than the full season group. Um, I guess the one last rotational note, and I guess this is more of a, a, a Lakers. Uh, I guess, yeah, this is still, yeah, this is Lakers defense. This team tends to sit both Jaw and Jaron Jackson Jr. to start the second and fourth quarters. If they're going to sit, it's like maybe the end of the first and the third, and then the beginning of the second and the fourth. They're both going to play minutes. Jackson, because of his fouling, not as much, but Jaw's going to put some minutes up. But if you do want to sneak in some Wendy Gabriel time, it would be the start of the second or the fourth quarters, I think, because you don't have to worry about Jaw and you don't have to worry about Jackson. Maybe he gets one stint like he did against Minnesota and that's it. I'm okay with that. If 80s, you know, in a foul and fatigue situation where he's able to keep playing, play big minutes, I'm cool with that. 
as we talk about shortening the rotation, but if you were to get in Sib Gabriel time, that's when they should do it. And that has been when they have done it. So that makes me feel better about just if you're going to go to those bench guys, when they're playing, what does the other team look like? It sets up better for LA. And in the types of lineups Memphis runs when like Beasley might be out there, make me feel better about having Beasley out there defensively. Some of these most dangerous lineups that Memphis runs, they're running at times in the game where the Laker lineups that you might be questioning a little bit more aren't generally playing. So rotationally, LA matches up well. They've got a couple, you know, yellow or red flags potentially in very specific lineups. Schematically, they line up really well. And I have to feel good about this Lakers team holding Memphis to one shot and defending them all in the half court as long as they game plan well. The big key piece here is you need to play strong offense as the Lakers and not allow Memphis to feed and elevate their offense with transition. If they get in transition, they're able to put up, you know, 150 in a game. You need to keep them out of that. You can't let John Moran get an extra 10 points from runouts and dunks, especially in Memphis when there's, it's going to be high energy, demonstrative atmosphere, need to stay calm, need to stay focused, need to be the organized, smart team. Got to get back in transition. Don't give them the easy stuff. So if they could do that, if they game plan well, I think there are just some built-in natural advantages for LA. The stuff Memphis is bad at attacking, LA does most in ball screens. The stuff that shuts Bane down in off-screen actions, oh, the Lakers have done multiple times against multiple teams. Jackson and where he's weaker, we've seen the Lakers go to in, in the recent past and do a good job sending help. The plan B of switching and loading up the paint, we just saw the Lakers do. That was not something we'd really seen the Lakers do and was something I was, you know, going into the scout, like this might be a viable option, but I don't know if it's even realistic. So I don't know if I should even talk about it. Now that we've seen them do it, I'm down with it. Just kind of like the, with the peel off switching, haven't seen LA do it, so I'm not going to really dig into it. But LA's got good options that they like to use, and that makes me feel really good about this Lakers defense against Memphis, or about as good as I can in terms of the, the matchup itself. And if LA does decide to be switching, the success of switching which again on the year has not been very good against Memphis, will come down to who they've got on the court. Are they good switching personnel? And how well are you able to take advantage and, and utilize those small tactics where you do, you know, send a double team and then scram a guard out of a mismatch against a big, or you load up and guard the paint against a guy who's probably going to get beat on the perimeter or a set, you know, utilize an off ball switch between a wing and a guard. So you've got a wing on a big instead of a guard on a big. Little little things like that can help mitigate some of the, the mismatch advantages that the offense can get against a switching defense. And against a team like Memphis, you, you need to do well with your rotations. You need to be sharp with them if you are switching because they will take advantage with, with seals. They don't have that lob threat to Clark anymore, but Jackson can finish some of those. So... Need to to keep an eye out for how they look to attack and then do what you can tactically to try to take it away. Some of that's technique, some of that's effort, some of that is scheme and tactics. But that's what I've got for Lakers-Grizzlies. I'm excited to see this series get going. 
We're going to be back tomorrow to cover the Lakers' offense against the Minnesota Timberwolves' defense. Did some super deep dives. I'm going to be able to tell you how the Timberwolves guard all of the key things the Lakers do. And based on how I see the tactics battle going back and forth, what I foresee happening in that this series, as well as what portions of the playbook I expect the team to lean on more heavily, which portions of the playbook I expect the team to lay off perhaps a little bit, which players might be set up for a great series, which players may not be set up for a great series. So that is coming tomorrow as we continue to gear up towards game one, Lakers at Grizzlies in Memphis Sunday afternoon for me. I I think, would it be morning for those on the Pacific uh, coast? It's like a noon game. Yeah. Yeah. So early game. Got to come out sharp in an early game. Uh, we've seen the Lakers, or at least the the anecdotal, I keep seeing people tweet about it, is the LA struggles in their early games. And I think we've heard that for a couple of years. I don't know how true that is. Maybe something to take a look at. But thank you for sticking around. And uh, let's, let's go Lakers. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you all later.